34, Psalm 34, verse 11. We're going to look at tonight. Will you pray with me real quick? Father, pour by your Holy Spirit into our soul exactly what we need. Thank you for King David. Thank you for his writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that we know what we're reading tonight is not merely advice from David, but it is the Word of God. And we thank you that you always bless your Word. We thank you that your Word is true. And we thank you that whenever we hear your Word, we're hearing from you. Holy Spirit, take it and apply it to our lives tonight and encourage our hearts for it's in Jesus' name we pray and we receive your instruction gladly in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in this psalm, we pick up on something where David gives us an invitation. And it's kind of the invitation anytime we read the Bible, anytime we have a Bible study, anytime we're preaching, anytime we're sharing these things. And here's what it says Psalm 34 11. Come, you children. Listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Well, that's so important. Verse 12. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So we're talking here about life and we're talking about the believer's quality of life. I guess we could call it a blueprint for life or something. But God wants you to not just have life, but to have a quality of life. And if these verses sound somewhat familiar, uh, Peter quotes them in 1 Peter chapter 3, I believe it is. And uh, the wording, because you're going from Greek to Hebrew, is just a tad different. But you can tell it's exactly the same thing. And he's making reference to the believer and our enjoyment of life. Now, David, when he was in the land of the Philistines in Gath, of Goliath's hometown, he wasn't enjoying life just a whole lot. And there were times when he's on the run from Saul, when he's in a dark, damp cave, and he's holding his breath, and they're trying to be quiet because Saul's soldiers are coming by. He's probably not really enjoying life much at that point. And remember, when he's fleeing from Saul, he is doing that for the better part of a decade of life, if you can imagine leading like, living like that. I wonder if during that time, if he ever thought, I was anointed to be the king, what's going on with all of this? What's happening? And why is my father-in-law after me and trying to destroy me like this? I wonder if those times when uh, you remember David would go in the cave where Saul was, and he would cut off part of his garment, then go outside and say, I'm not after you, you're believing the wrong things about me, and I could have killed you, but I didn't, and here's a piece of your garment to prove it. And Saul would kind of break down, and oh, my son, you know, and all of that kind of stuff, and yet nothing had really changed. David's life is not all that great at this particular point. And yet when he talks about this, he talks about, He's going to teach us something, and he wants us to not just live, but to actually have joy in our lives and to love the days that God gives us. How many days do you have left? I don't know. I don't know. There are some times we assume the older people are going to die first, and a lot of times that happens, but it's not guaranteed. 
Some younger people, as we well know from recent events, sometimes they die first. We, we really don't know how much time the Lord has given us. But I do know this. Whatever days we have, whether it is that I'm going to live and you're going to live a hundred years, God wants us to have a good quality of life in that. And he also, if we're right on the cusp of going to heaven, he wants us to die with a smile in our face and joy in our heart because he's been good to us. He doesn't want us weighed down by all the cares of life and the cares of the world. And particularly, I think you can see, he doesn't want us to die burdened down by the weight of sin. You know, sin promises freedom. And the world always says, I just want to be free, which means they want to do whatever perverted thing that they want to do. And you know what they find out? It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring joy. And Jesus is the joy giver. And you and I know the joy giver. And he lives within us through his Holy Spirit. And he's given us his word and given us kind of a blueprint here that we can follow. So I want to challenge you to take a look at this tonight and think about your life and think about how easy it is to kind of get caught up in everyday life and everyday living and our expectations and what we want and what we think and the way we think life ought to be, which it rarely ever happens like that. Occasionally things go according to the way you would want them to go, but most of the time not. So what are you going to do with it? And how are you going to live? Well, let's think about this. Number one, it starts with a love for learning and teaching. Learning and teaching. Whether you're in David's place doing the teaching or whether you're one of these that he calls the children here. And he's not necessarily talking about chronological children, but those who are under his care and his charge. Gathering them together like children of the Lord or the children of Israel. And when we think about that, if you are in David's position, then you ought to have a love for teaching. You ought to be passing on the things that you've learned like David has. And if you see yourself as more of the uh, learner, the child here, then you ought to be willing and able and eager to learn no matter what your chronological age is. Now... There's a problem that we have so many times. And that is when we're young, when we're just starting off in our walk with the Lord, oh, we can't wait to learn. We can't wait to hear the Word of God proclaimed. We can't wait to read that great book or to listen to that, back in my day, the tapes that might come out, right? Remember that? And uh, then you start getting to the point to where you know something. And sometimes that's a dangerous thing. Because some of us don't really learn the Bible because we already know that. We've already heard that. And so we may be reading a familiar story like David and Goliath. And we go through that. I know that story. And we flip through the pages fast. And we don't really learn. And we wonder why the Lord is not feeding us and speaking to us. And it's because we make this assumption we already know it. We already know everything there is to know. And that only gets worse the more years and the more decades that go by. And that's why we want to say to those of us as we are getting older, as we are aging, never stop learning. 
If you get to where you lose your appetite, you lose your hunger, and you lose the joy and the thrill of learning something out of the Word of God, well, then you're in trouble, and you've officially become old. And so David is saying here, assume the posture of a child. Are we supposed to do that? Well, Jesus said, unless you come unto me as a, what? Little child. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. We ought to always have that childlike faith. We're told by the apostle Peter, he says that we are like newborn babes to desire the milk of the word. Now I'm far from a newborn babe, whether you look at me spiritually or whether you look at me physically and chronologically. I'm way past that. And yet the Bible tells me I am to hunger for the word like a baby hungers for their milk, like a baby hungers to be nursed, like a baby hungers for that bottle. How long has it been since you've actually been like that? How long has it been since you actually prayed for a word from God in your quiet time? How long has it been since you prayed through the scriptures that you looked at in your quiet time saying, Lord, teach me how to apply this in my life, correct my misunderstandings, and open my eyes that I could observe wonderful things in your law. But when we get to the place to where we have an assumption, heard that, been there, done that, know that, I could probably teach it better, maybe you could, then you get to the place to where you're not learning. And that's not the way we're supposed to live. I believe we are supposed to be learning things from the Word of God and from other people that teach us, even if they're younger than us, to the day that we die. There's always supposed to be an intake, and we're supposed to be like newborn babes craving the milk of the Word, or craving the Word as a baby craves milk. And so he says, come you children, and listen to me. So he takes authority here, and he begins to share these things, and yet it's by invitation. Come and learn from my experiences, and those who are younger, he's going to encourage them, and he's calling them to listen. Uh, here's a quote for you. Wisdom does not come automatically with age. Job 32, 8 and 9. Because you'll find plenty of foolish old fogies. And an old fogey wrote that, John Piper. I don't know how old he is, but he's a good bit older than me. Okay? Wisdom does not automatically come with age. And we have this idea that because somebody is old in the church, they must have a lot of wisdom. No, they may be an old fool. That's possible. It could be that somebody we think, oh, they're just a great old saint of God and they are so mature. No, you may be more mature than they are because spiritual growth does not come simply by the number of candles on your birthday cake. Any of you set off a fire alarm whenever you have a birthday? Um, I can remember when I'd have birthdays and the cake would come out with the lit candles and uh, they'd turn out the lights. Man, it was dark. You know, with my birthday cakes now, they turn out the lights and you can't even tell. And when you blow out all the candles, my word, all the smoke that comes out. I mean, the fire alarms go off and all of that kind of thing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a mature believer. Some believers in their 60s, 70s, and 80s are still babies and babyish in all that they do. 
But some new believers that are very young chronologically, they hungered for the Word. They have grown in the, in the Lord. They are applying it. And they may be more mature at 25 than some other people are at 75, 85, whatever. You see, it's not just by chronology. We don't want to be an old fool. We don't want to be a foolish old fogey to uh, use what Piper has said. We want to be always growing, always learning. And here's the other thing that ought to scare you as you get older. It's the word stagnant. I think maybe more than being an immature senior adult, I don't want to be a stagnant senior adult. What happens when things get stagnant? They start to stink. They get old, dull, and boring. In the Dead Sea, you know, there's no outlet for that. And there's just, that's why they call it the Dead Sea. It's just not a life-giving place. And so you want an inlet and you want an outlet in all of this. And so some of you maybe have become a Dead Sea because you know so much, but you don't give it out. And you've got to give it out. And so this is what David is doing. So he sets the example. Okay, enough said on that. Let's go to the second point. And uh, here's the next thing in our, our little blueprint and our design for life. Uh, number two, focuses on honoring God. Now, sometimes we put the honor of God kind of last instead of first. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he didn't start off by saying, confess your sin. He didn't say, start off your prayer by rebuking the enemy. He didn't say, start off your prayer by taking your greatest need and laying it out before him. Remember how it starts. Our Father, which art in heaven, and what is the next phrase? Hallowed be thy name. That's the goal. And so everything else that I pray about, it is with the goal that God is to be exalted hallowed that his name is to be made holy and think about all the times that God's name has been used in vain and God has been in a sense drugged through the mud in this world that he created and it is blessed so greatly and so for us as believers we don't need to make our prayers simply about us it's about the Lord everything is about the Lord one time uh, brother Dale and I were at a conference in Jacksonville Florida and one of the things that every seminar we went to, the staff member or the person leading the conference would say, this ministry, whatever it was, they would name it, exists for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Well, that was impressive because it means that every time we start to sing, we sing for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. In fact, every time we preach, like even now, we ought to be preaching and listening for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It ought to be that whether it's in the nursery, all the way to the senior adults, it ought to be that every person in every one of those rooms is saying we are here for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Every ministry we perform ought to be for the exaltation of Christ. And it's hard, isn't it, to keep that in mind. There have been times when somebody would push me and uh, kind of uh, maybe shame me a little bit. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, we're doing this for Jesus. But to be honest, that hadn't entered my mind. I was doing it for some other reason. I was doing it for some superficial thing. 
even if we were feeding hungry people tonight, we might be tempted. Why do you do this ministry? Somebody might come up and say, why do you hand out this food? Or why did you give that money or those gift certificates out? Uh, oh, because people are hungry. Okay, that's true. But it ought to be just kind of, uh, I don't know, tattooed on our brain. That the first thing that we say is, or the exaltation of Jesus Christ. In fact, next time a neighbor or somebody asks you, why do you go to church? Well, because I feel good when I go. Eh, wrong answer. I mean, it may be part of it. I don't mean it's totally wrong. But that's the wrong first answer. Let's put it that way. Well, I go because I love fellowship. Wrong first answer. Well, I go because I learn things. Wrong first answer. It ought to be automatic in our, our minds that when somebody asks us, why do you go to church? For the exaltation of Jesus Christ, for the glory of God, because my Father is so wonderful and so holy and so perfect as my Creator, I can't help but praise Him. Something like that. I mean, you may not use the same words every time. And it ought to be on our minds that when we get up in the morning and you read a few verses of Scripture to start your day, that instead of going, I, want, I need something that's going to impact me today because we open the Bible and then we immediately make it about us. Don't make it about you. It's about God. Where do I see God in this? How is God exalted in this? How do I learn more about my Father in this? And go with it in that. Lord, I'm reading this to exalt Jesus Christ to the honor and glory of God. Lord, I come up here to work in VBS this summer for the glory of God, to honor my God. That ought to be everything we do ought to be like that. And that's the first thing David wants to teach these people he is calling the children. I will teach you the fear, the honor, the glory, the awe of God, the awe of the Lord. Well, we miss that so much. And I was reading a commentary, a commentary on this and they made the statement that this is one of the things that ought to be taught to our children. We're so quick to tell them Jesus loves you but we are hesitant to teach them that we serve a powerful God who must be honored and obeyed. And so they grow up with the idea that whatever I do and it doesn't really matter, just God loves me, no big deal. And I think sometimes even the world, we say, oh, did you know Jesus loves me? Well, of course he does. You know, I love me. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't Jesus loves me? But David says the important thing is the fear of God. I've got some verses, uh, the references are on the screen. Job 28, 28. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. Have you ever heard anything like that? I mean, there are verses like that just all over the Bible, aren't they? And they're the kind of things that maybe God said it more than once because He really wants us to get this. That the fear of the Lord is uh, wisdom. That is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So uh, if you evaluated your day by that, how'd you do today? A? A minus, B, B minus, maybe a C or C minus. Surely we didn't get down into D and D minus territory, did we? Uh, I was in second grade in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And, uh, you know, when you're a second grader, you've uh, been to school for kindergarten and first grade. You've been just enough to think you know something, right? And uh, I was sitting in class, and that's back before air conditioning, 
So they had the windows open. And there was this girl in front of me. She had long, frizzy hair. And I felt like I was walking through uh, spider webs. Kept blowing back there and all of that. And boy, it would get on my mind, on my nerves. And I was so glad when she came in one day and she had cut her hair real short. And she liked this boy. His name was Prentice, who was sitting over here. And uh, she said to him, how do you like my hair? And, uh, you know, he said, yeah, it's fine. He didn't really care. And I said, well, I like it because it doesn't blow in my face all the time. Okay? You know who heard me say that? Not just her, but the teacher. And the teacher said, Greg Keaton, didn't I tell you no talking while you took this spelling test or whatever it was? And I go, uh, yes, ma'am. That's back in the days when you said yes, ma'am, to your teacher. And uh, we didn't ever call our teachers by, our, by their first name either, did we? And uh, yes, ma'am, Miss Taylor. And uh, she said, okay, give me your paper. And she picked up my paper and she wadded it up. And she goes, you just flunked. Okay? Now, in second grade, I'm seven years old. I was brand new to that school. I thought when she said you flunked, I didn't think it was the test. I thought she meant I flunked second grade. So I was devastated. And she goes, okay, baby, go ahead and cry for us. Go ahead and cry for everybody here. Let's everybody watch. Greg is going to cry. Well, that ended that. But I went home terrified to tell my parents I had flunked first, uh, second grade. Why? Because I didn't understand how things worked. And I didn't understand what all was going on. And because of that, I assumed something that wasn't true. And I mean, it was a long, no, it was a short bus ride home. Uh, I wished it had been a long bus ride home and taken forever. I didn't want to face my parents and have to tell them what had gone on. I always had experiences like that in school. Did you? And I always kind of got the wrong thing and the wrong idea. And I didn't get it all together there because I wasn't very wise. And because I didn't have wisdom about what the teacher was saying and what the situation was, and because, well, frankly, I was wrong. I shouldn't have been talking. She told us not to talk. Because I did wrong, then what happened? I mistook the whole thing, and I had a lot on me that I didn't have to have. I've often thought, how much stuff do I have on me right now? The stresses, the anxieties, the pressures of the day. And how many of those things come on me and weigh me down, even at this stage in life? Because just like back in second grade, I didn't pay attention to what God said. I did what I wanted to do, thinking I could get away with it. And maybe because I didn't have the wisdom to know how things really worked, I uh, got in trouble and I took burdens upon my life because I didn't understand what God is doing. Don't you wish you understood more about God and what He is doing? Don't you wish you understood in some of the trials you go through, why is this happening? Why is God allowing this? Why is this uh, so tough and so hard? What am I supposed to learn about this? Well, there are some things that are just mysteries because God does work in mysterious ways. But I'm convinced there are some things that come upon us that we could know and we could understand and we could respond with wisdom except that we violate what Job even told us here. We didn't turn away from evil. We don't have understanding because we're just not all that wise. And we're not wise because we don't fear the Lord as we should. I hope that makes sense. 
Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. You know, you've got to practice. I know that's not the literal meaning, but it's interesting the word practice is in there. All those who practice it, who put it into practice. But I'm thinking in terms of uh, if you ever played an instrument, you had to practice in order to be good at it. And you would play those scales over and over. Why do I have to do this? I already know this. You've got to do it to get good at it. You've got to be disciplined. You've got to practice. If you are in a sport, you know, sometimes you watch some of these uh, college and professional players, and it is amazing what they can do with their bodies and what they can do with a ball. But they couldn't do that when they were five. They couldn't do that when they were ten. It took practice over and over and over. And you know, the old saying is, practice makes perfect. That's not literally true. Because if you practice wrongly over and over and over, you're going to end up wrong. You've got to practice in a way that you are improving. And I was reading that verse and thinking, practice. How often do I put into practice the fear of the Lord? How good am I at honoring God, being in awe of God? Well, you've got to practice it. You've got to Work it out in your life in every situation, not just at church, not just when the occasion calls for it, but all of the time. And it says those who practice it have a good understanding. So practicing the fear of the Lord is going to give me good understanding, which is what I need, and His praise endures forever. Let's look at another one. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise. Now remember that word despise doesn't mean they hate. It means they just don't care. They just take it lightly. They overlook it. Fools just overlook wisdom, take it for granted, and instruction. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. I've got this. It's all okay. And they let it go in one ear and out the other, and then they end up in trouble. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Are you starting to get the point? The fear of the Lord matters and you're dumb without it. You're ignorant without it. You're stupid without it. And you get the consequences of all of those things when that happens. So Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is is insight how well do you know your god that's how you get to where you have insight into problems things situations people trials you've got to have the right perspective and solomon says that only comes as you have knowledge of the holy one okay so you got something to work on so do i and ecclesiastes 12:13 the end of the matter all has been heard Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So we have this thing that says we want to be wise, we want to be understanding, and we want to be obedient. And in order to do that, we've got to fear God, and then we've got to obey what He says. And the two kind of link together. If you're not obeying Him, it's because you don't fear Him. And if you fear Him, you will obey Him. The two just are linked together like that. And so that's where we trip up. That's where we mess up. That's where the president messes up. That's where Congress messes up. That's where 
teachers mess up. That's where friends mess up. That's where marriages get off track. All of these kind of things because we fear God and we obey God. We honor God. We're in awe of God and we uh, obey Him and then He gives us wisdom and insight. Okay? Let's move on. The third thing that we find is that uh, believers are to have an optimistic outlook. Notice what he said in verse 12. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Okay? Who doesn't want that? Who does not desire to... Basically, that translates to love life however long it might be. However long it might be. God wants us to love life, and that is something that we want to do. But we keep messing up, and we keep tripping up on things, and we quit failing to honor God. We are not learning like we should, and then we wonder, why, we, why, why is this happening again? Why am I making the same old mistakes? Why am I doing the same old dumb things? What's going on? Well, that's what David is warning us about because that's our propensity to make the same mistakes over and over and over and over again think of the children of israel they come out of egypt and they're at sinai and what's the first thing they do they build an idol we don't know about this moses you know he's up on that mountain uh make us gods that we can follow they they make an idol as you read from exodus all the way through the book of uh daniel for example What is it the thing that the Israelis do over and over and over and over and over again? Idols. Moloch, Baal, Ashtoreth. Idols and idols and idols and idols. Don't you think they should have gotten the message long before Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed their temple? Yeah. But they were like us making the same mistakes in the same old way, in the same old sin, in the same old stupidity, over and over and over again. Don't you get tired of that? Don't you get tired of saying, Oh, Lord, here I am again. I'm so sorry. I promised you I'd never do this again. But here I am. I'm so ashamed. I'm so embarrassed. I'm so tired of this. And yet we just make the same mistakes over and over again and over, and over, and over. I remember a song when I was uh, younger. It was a Christian song. And uh, I don't remember all of it, but it was about the children of Israel and how they never learned to trust God. And how then, because they didn't trust Him, they didn't cross the Jordan, so they ended up in the wilderness for those 40 years. And the chorus of the song said, Take another lap around Mount Sinai. And do you ever feel like you're just circling Mount Sinai? When do I get to go to the abundant life, the promised land? Well, whenever you start fearing the Lord and you start obeying Him and you get wise and you learn the enemy's ways and you learn to spot the traps and you have insight into the ways of God. See? And that's what Israel just never got, just over and over and over. I've always wondered, you know, if we're going to make mistakes... And we are, and if we're going to sin, and we are, why don't we try something new every once in a while? But instead, we go back to the same old thing. And that's why it's called the sin that doth so easily beset us. It's kind of your default sin. Have you figured that out by now, what your default sin is? That's probably the only way you're going to defeat it. 
is to figure out what it is. It is. It's what you run to. It's what you go to in those unguarded moments. That's your default sin. So it uh, is right here that we uh, find this, this optimistic outlook as we uh, desire life and we love many days that we may see good. So it basically is saying, you know, who is it? We all want this and God wants this for us. And that's why Paul and Silas could sing at midnight in prison because they had the joy of living, the joy of life that God had given them. They weren't down in the mouth on all of that like we get so many times. And so uh, the love many days. And here's, here's the thing. You can live long and yet do it in bitterness, despair, or disobedience and be under chastisement. Good night, I've been under the chastisement of the Lord. You have too. I don't want that for a hundred years. I don't want it for 50 years. And yet so many people, that's the way that they live until they go to heaven. Never knowing joy, never knowing freedom, never knowing fruitfulness. Because they're always messing up and always under chastisement. Because they're not very wise and they're not very wise because, I mean, here we are going all the way back to point number one. They don't honor God and they're not learning. They're doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And so uh, there is another thing too, seeing good in life. Do you know some people that can never see anything good about life? Oh, they're surrounded by good. They've got a good family. They've got possessions. They've got food. They've got blessing. They're saved. They've got all of these kind of things. But all they can see is what's wrong. And they can see a mountain of goodness and pick out a speck of something that's wrong. And that's what they go to. You're not going to enjoy life like that. You've got to be able to see the good. Look what God has done for you. Great things He hath done, we sang a while ago. Can you name them? Are you aware of them? Or do you just expect them and go, well, he's supposed to do that. Well, that's just normal. No big deal. You know, don't you think God gets tired of his children not appreciating all that he has done for us? Your heart's beating right now or you wouldn't be upright. Have you ever thanked God for something as simple as a heartbeat? Ah, I can breathe. You know why that matters? Because I remember, not terribly long ago, sitting in my chair, just sitting there, and I could not do what I just did. And I can now, right? Some of you are saying, yeah, we've noticed you preach longer too. Yeah, because I can. Remember when I used to have to sit down? Remember that time during VBS, one time I was preaching, and I just about passed out, had to get a chair and... I remember it because the decorations were all around me. I mean, I really about passed out doing that. I don't have that problem anymore. You know, God is good. So what am I going to do? Go breathe? Everybody breathes. What's the big deal about breathing? Not, not me. Not me. My heart's functioning better and I have more strength. Well, that's supposed to happen. Everybody does that. That's just normal. Not for me. Not for me and not for some of you either, Right? And we forget about the goodness of God. Sometimes when our kids get on our nerves, ah, you know, it's a wonderful life quote again. Why do we have to have all these kids, George Bailey said. Do you realize how many people want kids and can't have them? 
Do you realize what a blessing it is? Lo, children are a blessing from the Lord. They're a heritage. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full. Do you rejoice in them? All of the things around us. Oh, I've got to get up and go to work. Do you realize how many people don't have a job to go to? Some of them cannot work. And they would give anything if they could. Maybe get up tomorrow morning and say, Praise God, I get to go to the job I hate. But thank you, Lord. You're going to teach me something today and I'm going to glorify you in my job. What if we did that? What if instead of waking up and going, Oh, good Lord, it's morning. What if we said, Good morning, Lord, and started off the day like that? You following me on all of that? David's telling us here that uh, we got to get rid of our stinking thinking, don't we? And uh, some of us, We've got uh, not hardening of the arteries. We've got hardening of the attitudes, don't we? And we've got to get over that. And so, don't die under the chastisement of God. Live life. Enjoy your life. See the good that's in your life. And number four, uh, exercises wisdom is what I have. What's the wisdom David wants us to know to have this good life and uh, this blueprint for life and this uh, design that God has for us? Well, here it is. Keep your tongue from evil. I, I got a feeling I probably don't need to go any further tonight. That's enough to make all of us go to the altar. That's a command. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. I wonder how many times I violated it and didn't even realize it. Got to think. Got to think. Got to be intentional. Keep your tongue from evil <clears throat> and your lips from speaking deceit. Do you mislead anybody? You don't always have to tell a bald-faced lie to be deceitful. Sometimes you just let them think what they want to think. Even if it's not right, I'll just keep my mouth shut. And they'll think I did something or they'll think I didn't do something. And we'll just let them, you know, be at peace in their own heart. You ever do that? A lot of people do. Look at verse 14. Depart from evil. You know, we're trying to cozy up to evil. We try to snuggle up to evil and get used to it. You know, sometimes we even say things like, well, if you're always away from evil, you'll never learn how to handle it. Okay, number one, evil will find you wherever you are. Enjoy every moment of peace you have when you're away from it, but don't think that's permanent. It will find you. You don't have to snuggle up to it or learn how to handle it. It'll come your way. And God allows it to come in the measure of what He has equipped you to handle. Okay? We've got to put our minds on, I want out of here. I want away from this, depart from evil. But it's not enough just to, I've departed from evil, look how holy I am, you sinners. No, nope. He says, depart from evil and do good. Two sides of the coin. Balance out. Are you doing good? Are you intentionally doing good? I mean, I know sometimes we stumble into good. Sometimes we see somebody else doing good and we feel embarrassed, so we join them and we kind of help them out. But do we ever just go to the Lord and say, Father, show me how to do good today wherever I can and to whomever I can. Wouldn't that be great? Then he says this, seek peace and pursue it. Do you pursue peace? You know, there are a lot of people that are always pursuing a fight, always pursuing disharmony, always pursuing an uproar, always pursuing chaos. They're not comfortable unless they're in kind of a chaotic situation. And yet we're told here we're to seek peace 
and we are to pursue it. So we've got the negative thing here where he says, watch your mouth, don't mislead others, and stay away from what you know is evil. Then there's the positive. Do good, seek restoration, and don't be distracted um, or take the detours of life. You know, some of us, we wonder why we don't end up where we wanted to go. It's because you kept turning off of the main highway. You kept being distracted. When I was a kid, we would travel, and uh, I hated being in the back seat anyway. And, uh, oh, it took so long to travel. And everywhere we would go, there were these signs. Remember Stuckey's? I wasn't particularly a big fan of pecans, but, oh, I wanted a pecan log every time we passed one. You know why? Because we'd just stop. I just went out of the car. Did you ever see the signs about, come see the baby rattlesnakes over here? Oh, I want to see the baby rattlesnakes. Got everything, you know, if I were driving when I was that age, we would have stopped at every little touristy thing that was around there, right? Just get out of the car. Let's go see. I know that's the coolest thing in the world. We're missing it because dad won't stop. My dad didn't like to stop anywhere under 800 miles. That'll get you in trouble, won't it? And, uh, you know, we, we do that. Well, in our, your spiritual life, you know what? The devil will constantly be putting up a Stuckey's or a, what were the other ones? Uh, Nickerson Farms, any of those kind of things. And he's going to always put up a sign. You know, oh, you're missing the baby rattlesnakes, you know, or something like that. Come see the bear or come see the tame lion or whatever it is. You know, come see the tattooed lady or well, you don't have to go very far to see that anymore, do you? But uh, you know what I'm saying? And we keep getting distracted. We keep getting off the path. And then we wonder why we're not ending up any further along in our spiritual walk with God. Well, um, that's just a few things for you to uh, think about. Because uh, in that last verse, he says a lot about peace. Seek peace. And I think he's talking about in your relationships. And we're to pursue that. The other person may not be pursuing peace. They may want to fight. You're not supposed to fight them back. You're supposed to pursue peace. Which is, and we close with this, because P, uh, Peter, David here is all talking about the blessed life. Uh, blessed. And Peter, when he uses, he talks about inheriting a blessing and he quotes these verses. Well, think about this, Matthew 5, 9. Blessed. It's what we're wanting. That's the goal. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not the people who stir up trouble. Not the people who are always causing trouble. Not the people who are pursuing a fight and, and always going. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. Why are they called the sons of God? Because that's what the Son of God did when He came to earth. He made peace between you and God. And so he's telling us here, if you want to be a blessed person, be the person that honors God, that obeys God, that departs from evil, and then is pursuing peace with other people. Be a peacemaker so you look like Jesus. Okay? I hope that uh, encourages your heart and uh, feeds your spirit for the glory of God. Okay? Let's uh, pray together real quick. Lord, as we think about this, these little commands here that just don't seem like much, and yet they're tripping us up in our marriage, in our parenting, they're tripping us up on our jobs, they're tripping us up in our witnessing, they're tripping us up even in our relationship with other believers. Oh God, forgive us and help us to grow. Help us not to be just stumbling around like 
little children, tripping over every little thing that comes along, or being enticed by every little thing that we see and thinking we have to put it in our mouths and eat it. Uh, we're, we're just not very wise, and we want to be. And help us remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that wise people know you and they gain insight. They also depart from evil and they do good. That's really what we want, Lord. Help us to do that so that we can be fruitful, so that we can be effective, so that we can walk in your power, so that we can quit being distracted by things that we should ignore and that we can also love the things and pursue the things that we should and help us to always be willing to learn. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for putting up with us. And thank you that you put up with us in love, not frustration. And thank you, Father, that you are guiding us, teaching us, and you are maturing us. And thank you for the day when we go to heaven, when it'll all be finished and we will be like Jesus. No more sin and no more disappointment, no more frustration, none of that, Lord. Thank you so much for providing that for us. But in the meantime, help us to learn. Help us to live and to enjoy life and to grow and see all of the good that you have put around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay? Take your uh, newsletter.